0: Thank you, choir and orchestra. I was listening to that song on the way in this morning. Steve had given me a CD of it, and uh, I've been blessed twice with that. So thank you very much. When we purchase something or join something, we want to know what we're getting. For instance, if I'm going to buy a new or used car, I want to know how many miles it has on it. I want to know if it's been in a wreck. What is its value according to the blue book? So I want to know something about it. When a young person is trying to decide what college they're going to, they want to know what they're getting. If I go to this university, then what am I to expect in that university? Same thing is true in marriage. probably if we knew what we were getting we wouldn't do it but we're sort of interested in those things well what about the christian life what are the benefits of the christian life you know we tell you all the time that if you have never trusted christ you should so what are the benefits of the christian life last week we looked at the believer and sin today i want us to look at the believer and grace take your bibles turn with me to romans chapter 8 beginning in verse number 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to, to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? I think I'm going to stop there, and we'll look at the other verses as we go along, but let's, let's stop there. As we consider some of the benefits or some of the blessings for being a follower of Christ. Now, the first thing I notice he says is that He helps our weakness. Now look at verse number 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. In other words, the Holy Spirit helps us to live the Christian life. I've been told on many occasions, well, I would be a Christian, but I don't think I can live it. I would be a Christian, but I don't think that I can live up to the standard that is expected. And let me tell you, you're exactly right. You cannot. We cannot live the Christian life within our own strength. So the Bible says that the Spirit helps us. Now you'll notice it says that He helps us pray. Herschel Hobbes wrote, Because of our weaknesses we do not really know how or for what we should pray. That is essentially the same thing Paul said when he said, For we do not know how to pray as we should. What do you think? You would think that we could why is it that our prayer is inadequate or our praying is inadequate well first of all because I have an inadequate vision I don't know what tomorrow holds I don't know what's coming tomorrow so how would I know how to pray for tomorrow when I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow for instance when the Lord called me into ministry I didn't immediately begin praying for First Baptist Columbia because I didn't know that I was going to be here. So my vision is not adequate, neither is yours. So I can't pray as effectively as I would like because my vision is inadequate. I can't see the future. Also, my prayer is faulty somewhat because I have an inadequate understanding as to what is in my best interest. Oftentimes we really don't know what is best for us. For instance, Samson saw a woman. Apparently she was a a fairly good-looking woman because he really liked her. And he said to his parents, I would like to marry that woman. They said, I don't think she's the one. I think this is a mistake that you're making. I don't think this is the one that you should marry. He said, get her for me because she looks good to me. Well, things didn't work out all that well, but sometimes we don't know what is really best for us, and we pray for things that are not best for us. You know, I'm grateful for the prayers God has answered when I have prayed. I'm also grateful for the prayers He didn't answer. Or for the prayers in which he said no to my request. So what he is saying here is that we cannot pray as we should. Our praying is inadequate because my vision is inadequate. I can't see the future. My understanding is inadequate. I don't always know what is really in my best interest. So it says the Spirit helps me. Look at verse 26. And in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So because I have an inadequate vision, I have inadequate understanding, the Bible says when we pray the Spirit helps us. Now that's a little word, helps. It is a rather large Greek word however it is soon anti lambanomai. That is the word. Soon with, anti over against, lambanomai to take hold of. Herschel Hobbes says that that is translated to take hold over against with someone. All right, so that's what that means to take hold over against with someone. So the Spirit helps us to pray. The picture that I have concerning that is that we are praying. Sometimes we are praying our understanding is inadequate. We can't see the future, so our vision is inadequate. But we are praying there are those times when I really don't know for what I should pray. And the Holy Spirit gets hold of this end of the prayer, and I am on this end of the prayer. And he lifts the prayer to the throne of God. Now let me illustrate it. A couple of weeks ago, I was getting ready to come to work, and I went out in my garage and hit the button that is supposed to raise the garage door. Well, the thing, the motor was turning, but the door was not going up. So I thought, well, I will, I will lift that door up by myself, and so I pull that little lever that's there that, you know, you're supposed to release. I pulled the little lever, and I got over on that, and I bent down, and I started trying To pick the door up, I couldn't. So, being a good husband with a strong wife, I said, Linda, (laughs) come and help me lift this door. So she came over and got over here, and I'm over here, and we both end up hurting our backs, and we didn't budge the door. So she then called the garage door people, and they came out. They were there by eight o'clock. I was very impressed with that, but they were there by 8 o'clock, and and, uh, he came in and looked at it, and he said, your spring is broken. And I said, well, why could I not lift it up? I, I released that little lever up there. I thought I could lift it up. He said it weighs 350 pounds. And it is the spring that lifts the door. As I thought about that when I was studying this passage of Scripture, I thought the Holy Spirit is the spring Who lifts our prayers see sometimes we are praying but we don't have adequate vision I don't know what tomorrow holds I don't have adequate understanding sometimes I don't know what is best for me and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gets hold of the prayer with me and he lifts it to the Father he helps us pray so he helps us pray the Bible says he helps us with temptation in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, Paul wrote, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Now concerning temptation, the Bible says that God is faithful and he will not allow a temptation to come to you That is beyond your ability to resist God is faithful he will not allow a temptation that is greater than your ability to resist and then he says and he makes a way of escape here's our problem oftentimes we don't want to escape there is a temptation with which I deal. God is faithful. He will not allow a temptation that is greater than my ability to resist. And he will make a way of escape. But sometimes we don't want to escape. So we come up with all of these ideas. You know, there is a sin gene. And so that's, there you go. I mean, the reason that I, I yield to this temptation Is because there is a sin gene in me and I can't resist it, so I have to yield to it. Well, that is contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says that he helps me with temptation. So, in my weakness, he helps me pray. He helps me with temptation. And he helps with my needs, which is emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, what needs do we have? Well, we need food. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 25, Do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat. Okay, there's one. We need food, right? We need clothes, something to wear. Jesus goes on, Nor for your body as to what you shall put on. So we need food. We need clothing. And Jesus said that he is aware of those needs. In Matthew 6, 32, he said, Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, okay? So we have needs. All of us have needs. He said, We need food. We need clothing. We need these things. Your Father knows that you need these things, and he provides them for you. In Matthew 6, 26, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? That is my God. Isn't it sad when we as Christians live our lives thinking that everything hinges on me or is determined by my bank account When the Bible says that God knows all of your needs and he provides for our needs. So he helps our weakness. That's what the scripture says. He helps our weakness. He helps us pray. He helps us overcome temptation. And he helps by meeting our needs. Now secondly, he says that God is for us. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Well, That's interesting and that is encouraging, but the truth is, there are times when we doubt that God is for us, right? I mean, really? Can you imagine Job, what Job was going through? There was this time in Job's life when his children were killed, his cattle were stolen, his health was gone. His wife said, well, why don't you curse God and die? Just get it over with. Now, can you imagine Job sitting there saying, boy, God's for me? Really? I'm sure that Job had some doubts. In fact, in Job 19, 6, he said, know then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. That's what Job said. God is for me? No, God has wronged me. He's closed his net around me. I am suffering. I have lost everything. I've even lost my health, and my wife has turned against me. No, God has wronged me. I'm sure that he doubted that God was for him. Moses doubted that God was for him. God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to lead the Hebrews uh, to the promised land. And so Moses yielded and, and said, if that's what you want me to do. And so he started leading the Hebrews to the promised land. They complained all the way. I think they were Baptists. I know they're called Jews, but I think they were Baptists. They complained all the way. They didn't like this. They didn't like that and so forth. Finally, Moses came to the place. He said, God, if this is my future, I'd just soon die now. I don't want to do this. I don't think that... Moses was convinced at that time that God was for him. We struggle with it also, don't we? Sometimes don't you doubt that God is really for you? You have an illness or a loved one faces an illness and you pray about it and you think, you yeah, know, does God really care? Does God really care? Well, if he cares, why doesn't he do something? Or is it that he's impotent? He cares, but he can't do anything. Sometimes when we face illness and those kinds of situations in life, we question whether or not God is really for us. Or the death of a loved one causes us to wonder, is God really for me? When a loved one dies, is God really for me? See, that was Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died. In John eleven twenty one, 21, Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, why didn't you come when we told you? When we sent for you, Lord, why didn't you come and now my brother has died? When we face the death of a loved one or illness, we sometimes wonder, is God really for us? Some of you have prayed for your marriage that it would be all that God would want it to be, and yet it's falling apart. Is God for me? Some of you parents have prayed for your children. You want your children to glorify the Lord. You've prayed for them. Your heart's been broken, but they continue in rebellion and in sin. And so the question comes to mind is God really for me? Is God really for me? Does He care? You see, being a Christian does not mean that we are exempt from the difficulties of life. But Paul declares that God is for us. And I want you to look at the way he goes about this. First of all, he said he foreknew us in verse number 29. For whom he foreknew. Now he is not dealing there with whether or not someone is predestined to be saved or lost. That's not what he's dealing with. He foreknew you. You know what that means? That means of the billions of people on this earth, God knows you. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible to me. Mark, he knows you. Isn't that amazing? Anthony, he knows you. Before this world was ever created, God knew that you were going to be born. That's what it means by he foreknew you. He knew you were going to be born and he knows who you are. So it says that he foreknows us. Now it goes on. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Does that mean that some people are predestined to be saved and some people are predestined to be lost? I know that we looked at this recently, but it's here again. So we're going to look at it again because it's within the context of this passage of Scripture. My answer to that would be no because he is not speaking about who is to be saved, he is speaking about how one is saved. Dr. Hobbes wrote, predestined translates a verb, meaning to set a boundary or a limit beforehand. The basic verb is horizo, whence comes our word horizon, meaning the boundary or limit of our vision in other words when it says that we are predestined it means that there is a limit there is a boundary a horizon that has been set so those who are saved the boundary is that those who are saved are saved in Christ that's the limit those who are saved are saved in Christ I saw a video this past week And I would imagine some of you saw it as well. Senator Bernie Sanders was questioning a candidate for an office for the administration. And as he questioned the nominee, the nominee was a Christian who had written an article about his faith. And in the article he had written that there is salvation only... In Jesus Christ and so he was accosted for that as being Islamophobic and so forth and Senator Sanders said that he would not vote for him because of that now as I listened to that I thought first of all that is unbiblical because that is exactly what the Bible teaches Jesus said no one comes to the father but by me There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the limit. Only those in Christ are saved. So I said, first of all, he's unbiblical. Secondly, he's unconstitutional. Because the Constitution says that you cannot establish a religious test to hold office. When Jesus died, he died that we might be saved, and the boundary that has been set is that only those in Christ are saved. He foreknew us. He predestined that we are only saved in Christ, and then he called us, verse number 30. And whom he predestined, these he also called. So he calls us to salvation. Now, the apostle Paul was a religious man before he became a follower of Christ, but on the road to Damascus, he was called to salvation. In Jesus, So he was called then to salvation. The woman at the well came to draw water, but she was called to living water. Drink from me and you will never thirst again. He calls us to salvation. Dr. Harry Ironside said God sought him, found him, loved him, and called him to salvation. He said my part was running from God. His part was running after me. He foreknew us, he predestined that we are saved only in Jesus Christ, and he calls us to salvation, and then he justifies us. Verse number 30, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified. At conversion, when we trusted the Lord, we were declared to be justified. We are just, declared so by the Lord. And then he glorified us. Verse number 30, These he also justified in whom he justified; these he also glorified. That is in the aorist tense, which means something that happened in the past at conversion, with future results. Now, folks, if you study through the Bible, there are three parts to salvation. I know that I know that a a lot of Baptists we think that we trust the Lord, and when we die, we go to heaven. Uh, There are three parts to salvation. First of all, there is justification. That is when I am converted, when I trust the Lord, when I am saved. I am justified. The second part is sanctification. That is what is going on in our lives now. Sanctification is an event and it is also a process. It is an event in that I am placed in the body of Christ. It is a process in that I am being conformed to the image of Christ. The third part is glorification, and that's when we go to heaven. So in salvation, I am saved from the penalty of sin when I am converted. I am in the process of being saved from the power of sin, and one day I will be saved from the presence of sin. God is for us. The third thing I see is that we are victors in Him. In verse number 37, He says, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us as a believer you are a victor said there are no charges filed verse number 33 who will bring a charge against God's elect now accusations are brought against us we know that Satan brings accusations against us doesn't he he accuses you he did Job in Job chapter 1 verse number 11. Satan said to God, "said you know, the only reason he's serving you is because you're good to him. You've blessed him. You take away those blessings, see what he does then. He's not going to serve you then. Satan brings accusations against you. People accuse us. They bring accusations against us also. But again, look at verse number 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. You see, only Christ has the right to accuse you, and yet the Bible says that he justifies us. So the only one who has the right to accuse us is Jesus, but he justifies us. So there's no condemnation, verse number 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. If there are no charges, then there is no condemnation. And the Bible says that Jesus died for us. He took our sins upon Himself. He paid for our sins and He intercedes for us. He died for us, paid for our sins. He intercedes. He is our advocate who intercedes on our behalf. So there's no condemnation. Then he says, there's no separation. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? If there are no charges, there's no condemnation. If there is no condemnation, there is no separation. Barnes says, it is an unwavering certainty. And so Paul just lists some things here that will not separate us from the Lord. He mentions, first of all, things without and within. Tribulation, that refers to pressure from without. Tribulation refers to the pressure that comes on us from without. And then he uses the word distress, and that speaks of internal pressure. Maybe anxiety, doubt, fear. You may have anxiety, doubt, and fear, those things internally. They will not separate you from the Lord. The pressure from without will not separate you. The pressure from within will not separate you. He mentions persecution. The early Christians were constantly persecuted, but that didn't separate them from the Lord. Christians are persecuted today. In fact, uh, there is more persecution of Christians today than ever in history around the world. There's the persecuted church. And people might be persecuted, but that does not separate them from the Lord. Famine. They were driven from their homes and without food, but that does not separate them from the Lord. He says, nakedness, peril, sword. Now you read that. And one would think that, well, with all this going on, that is going to separate someone from the Lord. Barnes wrote, as all these things happened to them in consequence of their professed attachment to Christ... It might be supposed that they would tend to alienate their minds from him, but the apostle was assured that they had not this power, but that their love to the Savior was so strong as to overcome all. Death nor life, verse number 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels... Nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Death, life, will not separate you from the Lord, angelic beings. In verse number 39, he simply says, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think what Paul did is that he is talking about all these things. He talks about distress. He talks about the pressure from without, pressure from within, famine, persecution, all of these things, life, death, none of them. And finally he says, and all these things, there's nothing. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let me conclude. As a Christian, the Bible says that he helps our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should. He helps us. We have needs. He provides for them. He helps our weakness. He is for us. My friend, I don't know what you're going through, and you might be going through a time when you're thinking, well, God is not for me. Yes, he is. He is for you. And we are conquerors in him. Hugh Kennedy of Scotland was on his deathbed. He asked for a Bible to be brought to him. He was blind. And he said, take my finger, And turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, and put my finger on those verses. And they did. And he said, now God be with you, my children. I have breakfasted with you, and shall sup with my Lord Jesus this night. That's the hope that we have as believers. He is with us to meet our needs here. And when we die, we simply go and be with him there. That's some of the benefit of being a believer. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your great love. We thank you, Father, that you offer to us the gift of eternal life, of forgiveness, of salvation, if we're willing to accept it. And I pray today for those who have never trusted Christ that they would, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing. It's an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you've never been saved, let me encourage you to trust the Lord today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings, you come, I'll greet you as you do.